Welcome to Vitality Made Simple. The following production is for educational and entertainment purposes only. If you need medical advice, call your doctor. Now, let's go to Vitality Made Simple. Well, welcome to Vitality Made Simple. Now, this is the podcast that helps you feel better, look better, and have better relationships. And, you know, life is all about relationships. And when you think about your relationships, they typically uh, revolve around food. So today we have Sally Fallon Morell. She is a world expert in traditional diets. She is the founding member of the uh, Weston A. Price Foundation. She's an author. She's an international speaker. She has... Um, it's just so much. You're going to you're gonna get to know her today. She's curious, she's fearless, and she's kind. What a combo. Think about that. Curious, fearless, and kind. And it's so true, Sally. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. And as I told you, I, I've never been more excited to, uh, get oh, to talk good. to somebody. Good. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, you're really just a shining light and an independent thinker in the world of nutrition. So how did this adventure start? You know, I've been one of these people that's always been very disrespectful of authority. Uh, my parents didn't know what to do with me. But I also came from a background of interest in food. I would say my parents were the original foodies. They both liked to cook and we had real food. We grew up on real food. And my mother... Uh, She's a little bit snooty and uh, bless her heart. I'm glad she was because she just thought it was common to eat junk food. She said, you know, good people don't do that. <laughs> and so we had real food. We always had butter. There were some things we didn't have, though. We didn't get cod liver oil the way both my parents got cod liver oil. And we didn't get raw milk. And I remember my father sitting at the table and he said, you know, your mom and I both have perfect teeth and perfect eyesight. How come you kids all need braces and glasses? So he was asking the right questions. And even though our diet was pretty good for the age, we were missing some very important nutrient-dense foods that my parents got that we didn't get. Incredible. So, so then you, you had your family and then. Well, I, I read Weston Price's book after my daughter was born. My first child was born and she was a beautiful, healthy baby. But I think it's because I had been in France for a number of years and discovered things like pate and liver. And, and I loved, just loved them. And I ate them all the time. So I was doing what traditional cultures did. Which, which was to uh, eat a lot of foods rich in the fat-soluble vitamins uh, before pregnancy. And then I was even more careful with my three boys, and I'm happy to say none of them needed braces. So I turned that around uh, in one generation. The glasses, no. It, if, if they do the right thing with their children, their children probably won't need glasses, but they did need glasses. That's absolutely fascinating. So, you know, Weston A. Price, uh, for our listeners, was a dentist. And as a dentist for almost 40 years, he's the dentist that none of us dentists have ever heard about. So tell us about that him. Um, what you learned from his experience. Yeah. So he was a dentist, as you said, and he he just didn't think it was right what he was seeing in his patients. 
uh, everybody had tooth decay and infection in the mouth, and almost everybody had dental deformities, meaning crowded and crooked teeth. And this was a time when the world was opening up. Um, he had a nephew who worked for National Geographic, and always when they came to an isolated, primitive, so-called primitive uh, tribe or group, the first thing they noticed was their teeth. Uh, these people just had beautiful, broad, uh, shining white smiles. They were described as straight and white as piano keys. And that's not what Dr. Price was seeing in his practice. So he got the idea to travel to places that were isolated. And first of all, to see if this was true. Were there, were, were there all these examples of excellent dental health? And if he could find populations that had excellent dental health, no cavities, no dental deformities, then he wanted to know what they were eating. Okay, he, he was really asking the right questions. He didn't want to know what unhealthy people were eating. He knew what they were eating anyway. But what were the diets like of healthy traditional people? <clears throat> now, these diets were different. Uh, some in the South Seas had a lot of carbs, and some the Eskimos had almost no carbs. Um, some had dairy foods, and some didn't. Some um, had grains, and some didn't. But the commonality of all of these cultures was the diets were very rich in minerals and very rich in what we call the fat-soluble activators. These are vitamins A, D, and K, which you need to absorb the minerals. You can't, you might be eating minerals till they come out your ears, but without vitamins A, D, and K, your body doesn't know what to do with them. And where do we get vitamins A, D, and K? We get them in all the foods we're being told not to eat butter from grass-fed animals, egg yolks, liver, especially that was a sacred food in many cultures, uh, raw milk, um, uh, certain types of seafood for especially prized organ meats, uh, animal fats like lard and tallow. I mean, so it's all the foods that we are avoiding are the foods that were made these people healthy. So you can see what a challenge it is for us. It's not only that we need, we're need we here to give out the information, but it's to correct the misinformation and get people over their um, fear of eating these foods. I've had people write to us and say, you know, I felt guilty for eating butter. And before I could get onto a healthy diet, I had to get over that guilt. I had to convince myself that I was worth it, you know, that I shouldn't be ashamed to eat butter. And they've created the impression that it's somehow vulgar to eat lard. And this was de deliberately uh, inculcated into the population. You don't eat lard. You know, poor people eat lard. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. People with low morals eat lard. Uh, you eat the margarine. That's what uh, good people eat. And it's been a very, very clever marketing campaign that's completely taken over the government and the medical professions and the media. And it's all the same message. Don't eat animal fats. And by the way, you were talking about relationships. Relationships, healthy relationships depend on having healthy hormones. And uh, you cannot make hormones without animal fats. You need the saturated fat, you need the cholesterol, and you need the vitamin A that's in the animal fat. And um, you also need, there's something in animal fats called arachidonic acid, which is 
what you make your natural cannabinoids out of. They make you feel good. They make you feel happy. And if you're not eating animal fats, you're not going to feel happy. And that's where, that's the uh, road to drug, drug use and drug abuse. No, it really is. And um, the thing that's so incredible about your eating plan is that it's inclusive and not exclusive. Yes. yes. It's, it's delicious. Processed foods, but you can have um, tallow fries on our diet. You can have all the dairy you want as long as it's good, good dairy. Uh, you can have all the butter you want. Uh, you should eat salt. Salt is extremely important for your health. And what we recommend is an unrefined salt. So it's it's the foods we love, but the real version of those foods. Yes. Yeah, so so Sally, folks, she talks about preparation techniques. Now mm-hmm. her her initial book, her her keystone book, Nourishing Traditions, is it's really not just a cookbook. Um, it says the cookbook that challenges politically correct nutrition and the diet dic- dictocrats, but it's it's really like enjoyable reading. I mean, like <laughs> if you want to just grab this when you're, I tell you know, I tell people get off the computer two or three hours before you want to go to sleep, but grab this. It's it's relaxing. It's refreshing. It it will give you ideas about what you want to eat. As a result of your cookbook, Sally, in relationships, we have a a, da- a married daughter and son-in-law, and then we have a nephew who's just recently engaged. So we, well, last night they came over for dinner. We, you know, we used tallow, we used lots of butter, <laughs> all these good things. But we talked about your cookbook and um, just how, like, would you guys like to come over every couple of weeks and we'll just try some new recipes? and they will. But this cookbook, I mean, I, I don't know how long it took you to write this cookbook, but yeah, it's almost 10 years. <laughs> oh, I see why, Sally, because it's got it's not just recipes. It's information. It's mm-hmm. uh, researched information. And um, it it helps, you know, renew your mind, I think, is what the key is with this with this cookbook. So, you know, and it's actually, it's starting to work a little bit. I, I've read two uh, articles recently about how the food industry is so worried because our consumption of processed food is down. You know, it's not hugely down, but it's a little bit down. And uh, there's this new phrase, ultra processed foods. And the industry is horrified that this has kind of caught on. One food that's ultra processed is milk. And the milk, you know, people say pasteurized milk, but it is ultra pasteurized. Pasteurized milk, they heated it to 160 degrees, which was bad enough. But uh, back in the 1980s, they realized that it wasn't working. There were several very large outbreaks and a number of deaths from pasteurized milk. And this was when the industry was being consolidated, the cows were being put inside. And so, what did they do? Did they try to get cleaner? No, they went hotter, much, much hotter. So pasteurized milk is ultra pasteurized and it's like um, uh, two, it's like above, way above the boiling point. And the delicate proteins in milk are totally ruined by it. And no wonder every, not everybody, but almost everybody is allergic to milk. A milk is responsible for at least 20 deaths from anaphylactic shock every year. 
So uh, we've turned nature's most perfect food into a poison because the industry just wanted to make profits. They didn't want to make this safe and clean. Well, and if you haven't tried uh, raw milk, it's delicious. And I always say life should be delicious. It's a real key. So, And and, and for moms who are, you know, you're not, you're never going to make the diet of your children perfect. It's just impossible with school and friends. But uh, raw milk is, that's one assurance. They're getting everything they need uh, from the milk, almost everything, not not iron, but almost everything else. And so, or not sufficient iron. But um, yeah, it's like an insurance policy for your children. So, so you have you have a dairy. Um, we have a little dairy farm. Yeah. And so today we're recording this on a Thursday. So was today Milk Day still to sell? Uh, well, uh, we may mostly make cheese. And uh, we don't make cheese in the winter, but we milk every day because we do have a lot of customers for our pet milk. We sell pet milk, raw pet milk. Goodness. Yeah, pet milk. So mm-hmm. so tell us about, uh, like it never occurred to me, Sally, that something like raw milk could be illegal. I mean, I my grandparents were farmers. And mm-hmm. um, so in the summers, you know, we would be down there. And I, I just, the Weston A. Prize Foundation is what, educated me in this area. Tell us about that uh, evolution of, I guess, you know, the the family farm, independent farmers being able to do what they needed to do and wanted to do to not being able to, but how you are working to restore that and how important it is, folks, to our to us and to our relationships. We have to have the freedom to get good food. And yeah. Sally's working hard for that. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I do want to emphasize it's not illegal to purchase, possess, or consume raw milk. It's only illegal for farmers in some states to sell raw milk or provide raw milk. And in other states, they can. So it's all on the state level. And what we've been working for is have more and more states where raw milk uh, can be sold or provided by the farmer. And when we started our campaign, which was 1998, uh, we set up realmilk.com. There were maybe 20 sources of raw milk in the whole country. And a couple of them were in California where you could buy real, raw milk in stores. But uh, it was just it was just kind of going away. And we, we just started this campaign. We put information showing that raw milk is not dangerous. It can't be singled out above any other food for being more dangerous because it's probably less dangerous. And we started listing the farms and um, helping people find the raw milk. And that made the demand grow. So at that time, there were 27 states where farmers could provide raw milk in some fashion. And now we are up to 48. We have two more to go. Um, So that's been really fun to do this. Um, Pete Kennedy is a board member, and that's kind of what he does is he follows all this legislation. Uh, Just to give you an example, um, in Texas, uh, you could sell raw milk from the farm. But as you know, Texas is a very large state and farms are very far away. So thanks to a wonderful lady named Judith McGeary, she worked very hard. I mean, it took her years to get those rules uh, um, relaxed so the farmers could sell at farmers markets and by delivery. 
And I have two grandsons in Austin, Texas, and my son goes to the farmer's market every weekend to get raw milk. And I'm so grateful to these people who have come along and helped us liberalize these laws. So it's, it's, it's happening. I predict that within 20 years, there won't be any more pasteurized milk. For one thing, because people can't drink it and uh, it makes them sick. And, and for another thing, they're waking up to the benefits of raw milk. By the way, cheese, um, you cannot make cheese with ultra-pasteurized milk. Cheese is a kind of digestion process. So uh, if you can't get raw milk, uh, I would say cheese, a good quality cheese is, is okay. It's a source of calcium for one thing. Well, and, and tell us about the importance of supporting these independent farmers yeah, so they make a decent living out of the milk. So farmers in the system get the same price for their milk that they got in World War II. It's about $1.50 a gallon. And the farmers selling raw milk get anywhere from 5 to $25 a gallon. And people are happy to pay this. And that's a decent living for a farm. And this is going to keep our farms. You know, the dairy farms are going out of business at the rate of you know, about one a day in this country. And that in the in the past, the prosperous dairy farm was the backbone of rural life. We had prosperous small towns. They all had a high school with a marching band and uniforms, you know, and that's kind of disappeared. These farms, these towns are sort of ghost towns now. Wow. Un- unbelievable. Um, now, so raw milk kind of leads us to butter. Um, you know, we're a household of butter. Uh, and so tell us why real butter is better. Okay. Well, first of all, just think about it. Butter is the fat for the nourishment and the growth of all mammals. All mammalian milk contains butter, butter fat, some in much higher quantities than cow's milk. Uh, all human breast milk contains butter fat. So there can't be anything wrong with it. We have been uh, browbeaten to think that this wonderful fat is bad for us. And it just doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. And also we can see as the consumption of butter has declined in this country, we used to eat 19 pounds of butter per person per year. That's a lot of butter. Okay. Um, And now it's about four. Now there's people like me who eat two pounds a week, but uh, there's other people who are not not eating any. And as that has gone down, cancer and heart disease has gone up. We don't know all the things that are causing cancer and heart disease, but one thing is for certain, it's not butter because they're going in the opposite direction. And so let's look at butter. It has all the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, and K, especially if the cows are on pasture, which they're supposed to be. Uh, It has... um, not only uh, the normal fats that we think of, uh, including saturated fat, which is uh, unjustly accused. There's nothing wrong with saturated fat. Uh, But also um, a a fat called CLA, which is our strongest protection against cancer in the universe. Yes. And that's in the uh, fat, butter fat of grass-fed animals. Arachidonic acid, which I mentioned, uh, which it makes us feel good. We make endocannabinoids out of arachidonic acid. 
and also butyric acid. Now, butter is the source of butyric acid, and that is so important for digestion and colon health and, and uh, thyroid health. And butter is full of minerals, and it, you know, again, it all depends on the pasture. But um, uh, yeah, it's the the idea that we have demonized butter to make people think it's bad for us just shows how low we've gotten <laughs> and how pervasive this propaganda is. Well, and I always look at it, Sally, like how were we designed? So, you know, and that's sort of how Weston A. Prize looked at it. What's what's the what are the commonalities in these cultures? You know, cultures yeah. that could not eat seed oils. I mean, they ate yeah. what was real, what was fresh. Yeah. And you know, throughout uh, throughout time, people ate real food in the real form. And they always wanted the fat. In uh, Australia, for example, if they killed a kangaroo and it didn't have enough fat on it, they threw it away. It was rubbish. And they hunted animals at certain times of the year when they were fattest. Bird fat, we're now discovering bird fat, like goose fat, duck fat, chicken fat, is a powerhouse uh, good fat full of vitamin K, which helps us have healthy teeth and keeps the calcium out of our arteries and puts it in the bones and teeth where it belongs. And uh, what do they tell us? Skinless chicken breasts. In other words, we're being told to throw away the most important part of the bird is the, is the skin and the fat. Well, and the most delicious part, I mean, people are yeah. hungry all the time. So because they're not getting these good fats that are nourishing every single cell, you know, they're, they're starving. They're just, they're on sugar. They're starving they're on... and then they crave sugar. And I, uh, I recently discovered a very interesting study. They got rats hooked on sugar and then they fed them a diet that was 40% lard and they used lard, real lard. And guess what? The rats didn't want the sugar. They, in fact, the researchers said, oh, these rats, they don't want these um, palatable foods anymore. And so they were basically saying, what a shame. They didn't want all the sugar. But feeding them a diet of 40% lard, they didn't want the sugar. And they were addicted to it. Now, we've had people tell us that when they've been on our diet for a while, it's not, it's not the thing that happens first. But after a while, they just don't want the sugar. It's not this big thing about willpower or, you know, I'm going to be better. I'm going to not eat the sugar. It's that they don't want to eat the sugar. And that's where you want to be. You don't want to be in a place where it's a struggle. You want to be in a place where you just eat what your body needs and tells you to eat. Mm -hmm. No, I totally agree, Sally. And, you know, there was this... Um... Article reminds me of uh, in the New York Times, probably 2011, 2013, The Extraordinary Science of Addictive Junk Food. And you all look this article up. I've talked, talked about it before. It's easy to find, but it talks about the science be behind making people addicted to these ultra processed yeah. foods. Um, yeah, it's the extraordinary science of addictive junk food. And mm -hmm. they talk about how. They uh, hook people up to functional MRIs, and they can actually uh, tweak the the crunch, the mouthfeel, the saltiness, the sugar, oh, the yeah. everything to ding, ding, ding that dopamine center just yes. right. So they get it just right. So so they are designed for addiction, whereas 
you know, real food is designed for satiety. Yes, it's designed for, for energy. Yeah. Yes, yeah. for for mental stamina. Um, yeah. So, so tell us, Sally, what did you have for breakfast today? <laughs> well, this is an eggs and bacon day. We had our pastured eggs, and natural bacon. Uh, we, <laughs> my husband's from New Zealand, and what they do in New Zealand is they put fruit in the bacon pan. So we had some banana and apple cooked in the bacon fat. I had a glass of raw milk, and I had a. Um, a glass, a little small glass of beet kvass, which is something in my book. Yes. That was my breakfast. And the other days we have oatmeal, which is soaked overnight. And that's all in my book, why you should do that. And I put a lot of butter on my oatmeal. And then um, my glass of raw milk. I have that. Oh boy, doesn't that sound great? And, and you know, I'm not, I don't feel hungry. I, the thought of eating anything else never crosses my mind about one o'clock. I start to feel a little bit hungry. Mm-hmm. So that's the way it should be, that you eat and then the thought of food is gone. But the problem is people eat, they're not nourished, they're not satisfied, and the vendor, uh, the vending machines beckon. Uh, the other part of this whole teaching mission that we have is not that just that the animal fats are good, but what's replaced the animal fats in our culture is the industrial seed oils. And they are a disaster. They're just an absolute disaster. They're a slow poison. Uh, they not only cause heart disease and cancer, we know that. We absolutely know that. But they um, mess with our minds. They mess with our hormones. Um, I'm convinced that the main cause of all this gender confusion is the fact that we've, we're now in our third generation of vegetable oils. So people don't know what they are and, and they don't know what they're attracted to and, or maybe they do, but it's, it's, uh, you know, not what's considered what we need to reproduce ourselves and have a happy life. And um, the food industry is the culprit here. Well, and infertility is super high, super high. Yes. And there have been studies showing that if you take women who are infertile and put them on butter and, and dairy fats, they get pregnant. The, the studies are there. Absolutely, Sally. The studies are there and they're in the journals of, you know, the gastroenterologist and the cardiologist. Yeah, and this study about the rats and the 40% lard diet, that was in, a, it was just in 2020. That should have been splashed all over mm-hmm. the front pages of the papers. This is really an important discovery, and nobody mentions it. In fact, the researchers themselves were sort of ashamed of it. You could tell by the way the language they used. They didn't expect that outcome potentially. No, Mm-mm. no. I think that's why it has to be has to be uh, the ground up. It has to be individuals deciding. I'm tired of taking this handful of pills, whether it's pharmaceutical meds or supplements. Yeah. You know. So many times, I mean, I'm in the functional medicine area and a a woman came in the other day taking 63 supplements, (gasps) 63 (laughs) supplements. So think of the cost of that. Yes. yes. So we don't know what those supplements do. I mean, some of them may do a little good, but um, that's not how we're supposed to get our nutrients. By the way, something like raw milk, every nutrient in the milk is 100% absorbed. So that's. That's because of all the enzymes in the milk. 
Well, and that is the key I talk about with people all the time with their supplements. You know, you don't even know what you're getting. And um, it's it's the word supplement is in addition to, yes. you know, a healthy diet. We just sort of forget that that's, that's part of it. Um, you know, Sally, one of my favorite um, quotes, Sally Fallon quotes, mm-hmm. is that uh, we're, we're called to manage the landscape and not feel guilty for being here. So, so oh, yes, this, the earth is made for us. And we're, we're supposed to be the wise stewards and make it beautiful and fertile and productive and have um, beautiful, happy children. That's our mandate. And we are, I mean, there's, we can do lots of other things too. There's nothing wrong with enjoying yourself, enjoying your food and having hobbies or whatever it is. But we're, this earth is like an empty slate given to us. And we are the ones who are supposed to make it a work of art. Well, and you know, there's so much, so much good research about working with our hands and how that decreases depression. I think it's a, I could be misquoting this. Kelly Lambert wrote a book um, that's fascinating. I mean, you know, we, we get, it's all one thing. It's not just one thing. It's everything uh, together. Handwriting is good for children. Piano lessons are good for children. Um, because the brain and the hands are so connected. Yes, it's it's so exciting. Well, talk to us about your um, perspective on salt consumption. Okay, so uh, salt is uh, necessary for life. We need the sodium in salt. We have a daily requirement for sodium. And we get that from salt, mostly from salt. And uh, we need salt for enzymes that help us digest carbohydrates. The chloride in salt, and salt is really our only dietary source of chloride. That's what we need to make hydrochloric acid for digestion of proteins. Uh, I just learned this, that we need chloride for making bile salts for digestion of fats. So we need salt for digestion. And that's why we have a salt taste in our mouth. The creator didn't put that there to torture us. He put it there to, because we're supposed to put salt on our food, Just right? Want it. Uh-huh. And um, in the past, uh, dictators and tyrants uh, controlled populations by withholding salt. And you may remember the salt march in India that Gandhi led and because the British and put this huge tax on salt, like the good colonialists that they were, and that was to control the people. One of the good things about living in the modern age is that we all have salt. It's inexpensive, and very easy to get. Now, people might say, well, we have too much salt. But we actually ate twice as much salt in 1900 as we do today. The average consumption was three teaspoons a day, and that's because they used salt to preserve meat and fish, and our food was very salty. Uh, today, the average consumption is a teaspoon and a half, and that's exactly what we need uh, for, um, you know, all our sodium and um, chloride requirements. Um, well, and naturally harvested. Distracting me. <laughs> so, yeah. So don't be afraid of salt. Just make sure you're eating uh, unrefined salt. Uh, which has all the trace minerals in it and doesn't have aluminum in it. That's one of the sources of toxic aluminum is uh, regular salt. 
No, thank you for uh, mentioning that. By the way, that. salty food, when you get into processed foods, salty foods tend to also be very high in other additives like MSG, which has is sodium. There's sodium there, but it's very toxic to the brain, um, to the nervous system. And uh, so that's not, you don't want that kind of salt. By the way, you know what food is most associated with weight gain? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I would say sugar, but that is no, obviously potato chips. Potato chips. Because bet you can't eat just one. We get you can't. And it's, as you say, they have figured out how to make them as addictive as possible. And they're made with toxic vegetable oils, which is, again, associated with weight gain. Yeah. So those potato chips are just a minefield. No, that's crazy. And they're not using the good salt, the naturally harvested salt. Um, no. Michael Michael Silik that I met at mm-hmm. uh, the conference was on the podcast a few months ago talking about um, how they harvest their salt and they check it for microplastics and they check it for glyphosate and they check it for heavy metals. I mean, so, you know, you have to be careful. His his salt is Baja Gold, which we yes. use now. Yeah. And it's it's delicious too with all the minerals. It has a has a, a richer flavor. I think. Yeah, it's more satisfying. Mm-hmm. It really is. Well, you've also uh, this nourishing traditions book to me is uh, a must have. And then you've also written about uh, a, a version for pregnancy. And yes, so I ordered a pile. I have a pile of those. Um, not to you know make make our children think about it, but. Uh, our son-in-law actually is like, give me one of those, Debbie. They don't, they, you know, they're not pregnant yet. But to me, that is key, Sally. Yes. Um, pre-pregnancy yes. medicine. Preconceptual nutrition. Mm-hmm. And all traditional cultures that Price described have these ideas of having sacred foods that, that pregnant, well, that men and women ate in preparation for pregnancy. And then that they women ate during pregnancy and the children during the period of growth. In Switzerland, it was the butter that came in the spring. It was really deep yellow butter. In um, Ireland or off the coast of Scotland, excuse me, it was a, a fish head stuffed with cod's liver. You know, I think it's easier to get your kids to eat butter than fish head stuffed with cod liver. But they all had some really nutrient-dense food uh, for growing children, for pregnancy, and for preparation. No, it's fascinating. It makes sense. You prepare for everything else, you know. Yes, but, right. But then people and just accidentally. I'll tell you, pre- um, the, the, you know, people don't, a lot of people don't have children yet, but they want to. Um, your life changes for the worse if you have a child who's really sick or autistic or, you know, has a digestive problem or cries all the time. Yeah. No, and it's just getting to be more and more common. I mean, it's... Yeah, one it's, child and two has some uh, medical wow. issues. Wow. You mentioned earlier briefly cod liver oil. Mm-hmm. Educate us on cod liver oil. Well, cod liver oil is a wonderful source of vitamins A and D. And up until the Second World War, there was a big campaign to get children to take cod liver oil. It was a very widespread and successful campaign by public health authorities. You got cod liver oil at home, in school, at Sunday school, and you know, everybody got cod liver oil. And um, the cod liver oil in those days was naturally produced also. See, they've pretty much ruined the cod liver oil with the high temperature processing today. So. Um, 
And then after the Second World War, the consumption of cod liver oil went down because they were pushing antibiotics instead of cod liver oil. So we have really started a campaign to get people taking cod liver oil again. I take it every day without fail. I, I personally okay. am a person who needs a lot of vitamin A in my diet. And I, that's the way I get it is from cod liver oil. But I heard you mention uh, that you use fermented cod liver oil. Is that correct? Well, so uh, most cod liver oil today goes through a process called molecular distillation. All the big factories for cod liver oil do that. And it heats the oil very hot for a long time, so much so that the natural vitamins are ruined and they put um, synthetic vitamins in instead. So there are really only three brands today that are not heated and we have them listed on our website. Okay. And your web, that would be Nourishing Traditions. uh, The Weston A. Price Foundation. Okay. And we are looking for more to come back. I mean, it's easy to extract the cod liver oil without heat or even just a mild heat. You know, you can heat it up to 80, 90 degrees. That's fine. but the you know to heat it up to 250 or 300 degrees is not fine and i'm hoping that more companies will get it about the cod liver oil no that's key we want to we want to know what to use that's really working yes so yeah. so i will i will post those companies in the show notes folks okay so that you'll know where you can order it uh, and where What's what's worth your money and time? Yeah. Well, Sally, any closing thoughts? Well, I just want to say that uh, it's not just me. <laughs> we have a big active organization, the Weston A. Price Foundation. We publish a journal. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of um, good information. Uh, we have these nice little flyers that um, give it to you in bites, you know, bite-sized stuff. We publish a shopping guide. We do the campaign for real milk. We have a, a very popular podcast mm-hmm. and that's westonaprice.org. And if you're a member, uh, you get our journal and you just become part of our family, right? Plus really we do the conference. Family. Yeah. Oh, I love the conference. We'll, Was we this will your not, first one? It was the first one. Okay. And we were there because Martha Carlin is a friend of mine and yes. she was one of your speakers. Yeah. So, I was like, Martha, thank you for, you know, introducing us. Um, you know, I've heard of it, but it's a, it's a life changer, folks. It's a life changer. Now, the the podcast that Sally mentioned is called the Wise Traditions Podcast, mm-hmm. and it's incredible. And they have a great Instagram. Uh, so so check that out. Yeah, we do social media. We We try to meet people where they are. Some people like to listen. Some people like to read. Some people only want the scientific articles. We do that too. Uh, so uh, we try to um, put this message in different types of media. You do a terrific job of that. Um, Thank you. Your your work is has not only helped our family, and we've we've been very health conscious. I mean, I'm in this whole integrative medicine space for years, but uh, the. This makes sense to me because I always try to sift through how are we designed? Uh-huh. What makes sense based on our design? And your eating plan makes sense. Um, and it's delicious. Yeah. I fully believe life should be delicious. Delicious, yes. 
So, so thank you so much, Sally. Uh, thank it's you just for been having a- me. Also, I just might mention, I do have a blog, nourishingtraditions.com. And um, I get to really express my sarcasm. No, check, <laughs> out, her blog. Blog. check out her blog on raw milk. There was a UCLA, UCLA professor yes. that did an article um, about bashing raw, milk. Got raw, raw milk, bashing raw milk. But what Sally did was take each of her arguments, very kindly uh, rebut them with scientific literature, with real, with historical perspective. I mean, well, it really got to me as she was saying that the farmers selling raw milk were doing it because they were greedy. And, you know, that that really Uh -uh. because it's the companies that are greedy. They're putting the farmers out of business. Yeah. It's so, I mean, and then people just read things and don't question, but I so, I so respected Sally, how you handled it because it was just so nice. So intelligent, you know, it was so intelligent. Well, well, thank you. And I'll have lots of having me and yeah, send us the link and we'll, we'll put it up for you. That'd be great. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we are now in, I have a note here somewhere that's covered up, but we're now in like 115 countries and over, over yeah. 3,600 cities. And that's because of you all, because I've pretty much been a social media loser, Sally. Um, I'm newly on Instagram as of May 11th last year. And You'll having a, a lot from Instagram, having yeah. a blast, just having a blast. So Thank you, listeners. Please keep sharing this. This is something that's really going to help your family um, to have these great times of, you know, being foodies and cooking and just open Sally's cookbook and, you know, close your eyes and pick something. It's going to be delicious. Uh, Blessings uh, until next time.